harder topic. There's probably no greater stigma when it comes to a church talking about it uh, than the topic of money. We've probably heard the objections before. All the church talks about is money. All the church cares about is money. All the church wants is my money. And maybe that's because some of you have been burned by that in the past. Uh, Maybe you've actually had a really some experience with some arm twisting, some guilting and shaming you to give more because that seemed to be all they wanted. But I think for most of us, uh, the, the biggest thing is that when it comes to the conversation of money, maybe the reason why we get a little more nervous or guarded is because we all know that money means something to us. Money gives us the ability to enjoy things, right? Like if you want to go out, uh, Probably not brunch anymore, although maybe it could be. If you want to go out for lunch after the service and do a restaurant, you can't do that without money, right? If uh, you want to have a nice summer vacation, you probably can't do that without money. In fact, uh, a lot of you guys, you like your local Chicago sports team to go and enjoy a seat at their stadium, whether it's the Sox, sorry, whether it's the Cubs, whether it's the Bulls, whether it's the Blackhawks, whether it's... Dial bears, right? You can't do that without money. Money allows us to enjoy things, but on the flip of that, we also know that money allows us to avoid, keep other sufferings away from us too, right? Like the, uh, the arguments, the stresses over, I don't have enough money for this, or why did you spend money on that? We didn't have that kind of money. Well, if you do, you probably don't have that fight. Or the, the situation where you sit down and your stack of bills is like this high and your bank account seems like it's this big. Well, you know what would fix that? Having a bank account this big and then you wouldn't have that stress, right? Money seems to be able to, to be able to not just enjoy things, allow you to enjoy things, but also prevent some sufferings. And so then when we talk about money, well, how many of us would say right now, show of hands, who would like less money in their bank accounts? Not a single hand would go up, right? We, that's how we feel about money. And yet, do you know who wasn't nervous talking about money? Do you know who talked about it arguably more than any other teaching? Jesus. In fact, uh, we're in this series on parables. Think back two weeks, two weeks ago, to the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know Jesus talked about money in there? The Good Samaritan who bandaged this person up, who healed him, who spared no expense at helping this person out in a way that completely applies to us. Last week in the parable of the seed, the the sower, Jesus specifically says the deceitfulness of wealth is one of those things that can choke out the message of the word, keeping it from being fruitful in your lives because all you're thinking about is money and it interferes with what God's saying here, so it keeps you from being fruitful. And today, a whole parable, how about that, dedicated towards money. But it's not just unique in that. In fact, depending on how you count Jesus' parables, about 39 of them, depending on how you count, of those 39, 11 are about the singular topic of your money. Doing the math, that's 28%. That's over a fourth, over a quarter of Jesus' parables themselves about money. And then he'll talk about it again in Luke chapter 16, again in Luke chapter 19. He'll talk about it with Jesus. It just keeps going. This is arguably the the biggest teaching that he has with how much God talks about it again and again and again. And so when you combine the fact that sometimes we think it's socially inappropriate to talk about money with the fact that Jesus talks about it all the time, you start to see why. 
Maybe it's because we do have a blind spot here. Maybe there is something in our hearts that money pulls on, yanks on. Maybe we have a spiritual issue with money at times. And that's why Jesus gives us this parable. But before we dive into the parable, I want to prepare your hearts for what we're going to see today. What he's going to show you is really the deceptive power of greed. That it's one of those things we're blind to. It's one of those things that we don't see it coming, and yet it is, oof, it is a tricky one. But then you're also going to see how you are richer than your wildest imaginations right now. Sometimes we're even blind to that fact, and when you combine that fact, then we're going to see how exactly you can break this power of greed. But a disclaimer right up front. If, uh, if you're not a Christian here, don't give. I'm not here to ask for money. Don't give. Because if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, don't give. I'd rather start talking to you about and, and you know who that is. So then you can understand why it is we give. And if you are a Christian here today, fantastic. But don't just leave here thinking nothing else about this message. You know, whether you have a job, whether you have a part-time job, whether you get an allowance, what, whatever it is, take this truth and go home. Have a budget conversation with your spouse if you have one. Have a heart-to-heart, uh, an intimate moment where, where you look at your budget and say, is God here? And if he's not, how could he be? And if he is, is he generously here or not? Actually have the conversation, take these words, and see what God can do with your money. Now to help you have that conversation, Jesus is going to lay out a parable. Before we dive into that, I'm going to give the first verse of chapter 12, and we're going to launch into that so that we can see how this all is set up. Luke tells us, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So you can imagine this mass of humanity just trying to get in to see Jesus, hear Jesus, right? And this voice shouting above them all, Hey, Jesus! My brother's being a jerk with that inheritance. Tell him to share it with me, okay? He needs to be more generous. Very interesting, right? Now, it's uh, not uncommon for, uh, for this person to ask this question. In fact, if Jesus talks about money all the time, it makes perfect sense. Hey, he could probably weigh in here. And there were inheritance laws. I, I won't get into the details, but suffice it to say, either his brother was doing something wrong or he felt he wasn't getting enough. Either way, Jesus replies back to the man, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, he's not blowing him off. He's just stating a fact, like, I don't have the legal authority that maybe you think I do. In those days, rabbis would often uh, have to weigh in on civil cases like this. Um, They didn't have a judicial system like we do. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. I'm not one of those credited rabbis that are in the system I'm not officially someone who who you're thinking I can do what I can do for you, but he doesn't leave it there. He never does. If you know anything about Jesus, he always probes deeper. Jesus, I have a financial issue, and Jesus, who can read the heart, says, you have a heart issue. What's the sin beneath the sin? And as Jesus not just sees him, but I wonder if he doesn't look at the thousands of people He sees the couple who just have this exhausted, stressed out, frustrated look on their faces because they just had another money argument the night before. If he doesn't look at the 
young kids, the youth, the young professionals with that desire in their eyes to say, money is what I need. I need to make more money. If I can get a job that gives me lots of money, then I can have anything and I can have a great life and a good life. I wonder if he doesn't see all of that. I know what he sees in this man and in thinking of us today, he, he starts to teach them something about money and he starts to say, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, whenever Jesus, whenever God says, watch out, watch out, <laughs> pay attention to it. But notice that he never says it about like obvious sins. He does not say, watch out that you don't become an adulterer because you can tell in the moment if you're committing adultery. Watch out that you don't commit murder because you can tell in the moment if you're murdering someone, right? Still don't do those things, but watch out, be on your guard. He says those about those sins that are deceptive, those sins that are not obvious, and that is greed in a nutshell. If you asked if you group texted, mass emailed all the people that you know and said, hey, would any of you say you're greedy? I don't think a single person would say, yeah, I'm totally greedy. See, that's, greed is one of those sins that I, I classified as the other people's sins. You know those sins? I, yeah, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem. Uh, we know it's a problem. I don't suffer with it, though, but someone else does. I know someone who does. You know, I wish, Pastor Cook, I wish so-and-so was here so that they could hear you preaching on this because they really need to hear this kind of sounds like this guy who says, I wish my brother was here to hear you preach, Jesus. Hmm. Interesting, right? Totally blinded to his sin, totally blinded to what's there. That's why Jesus says, watch out. If you're taking notes, this is our first big point. Greed is deceiving. Greed is deceptive primarily because we're blind to it. It just weeds in there and we don't see it coming. And one of the reasons why we don't see it coming is because Jesus, you notice he doesn't say, be on your guard against greed. He says all kinds of greed. So it kind of begs the question, well, what is greed then? And if you're taking notes, this is the next point. Greed is simply the assumption that it's all for my consumption. I cannot take credit for that because another pastor taught it to me and it has stuck with me ever since. It's the assumption that everything, money, stuff, materials, whatever it is, it's all for me to consume. And there's all kinds of greed. There's a greed for the haves. There's a greed for the have-nots. For the rich and famous, for the poor and needy, they can still be greedy. There's a spending kind of greed that I think we're all used to, right? It's all just money in, money out. I have to have. I have to have the latest iPhone. I've got to have the best house. I've got to have the nicest car. I've got to have the latest fashion. I've got to have the coolest kicks. I've got to have all the toys, the best toys, the most toys, right? I've got to have all of these different things, or if I don't, I somehow feel inadequate. It's just me, me, me. You've got to feed my appetite. That's greed. But there's also a deceptive greed that's called a savings greed. And a savings greed is simply a greed that says this is a greed that it's not for me to consume now, it's a greed for me to consume at a later date. This is the greed that says, no, we can't have the $50 steak, no, we can't have the nice vacation, no, we can't have this car, no, I'm going to downsize here, save here, not spend there, why? So through the miracle of compound interest, 
I can then save here and blow it there and spend it there and have it all then. There's a spending greed. There's a savings greed. There's all kinds of greed. Jesus says, watch out. And with all this going on, when he's trying to talk to this people, talk to this man, talk to us today, as we're trying to process things, he gives this parable to help explain what he's saying. And it's a parable that I think most 21st century Americans would find rather odd and confusing. I'll show you why. He says, The ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and we'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And we say, what's so bad about that? Right? Like, does that not sound like the quintessential American dream? Work hard, make a lot of money, retire early? If Jesus were giving this parable today, it might sound like this. There was a young business entrepreneur who started up a small business and business was good, but then he realized, I do not have the office space for more staff or let alone all the place to handle these, pro- these processes, all the profits, all the requests coming in. What shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll lease out an office building. So that way I can hire more staff. And that way I can handle more of the requests and build the business and sure enough, business booms, word of mouth spreads, profits soar sky high, investments are good and his financial advisor calls him on the phone and says, hey, you're doing so well for yourself, you could retire and you could just enjoy your days, you've got so much money and he thinks to himself, there's a cabin on the lake up north, I could buy a nice house down south in the winter to retire in, wouldn't that be great? And he thinks about his golf swing, you know, I've got to figure out how to get rid of that slice that I have a problem with. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. What would you say if you had a friend like that? Nice work! <laughs> You're killing it! Man, I wish I could retire early. Man, like 20 years early? Oh, wow. Man, I just, you know, I wish it would be kind of nice for me to go golfing on Monday or Tuesday in the middle of the week. But hey, you know, I've got to go to work. That's what we would say. What did God say? You fool. Fool? Hang on. Time out. He doesn't waste his money. He spends it. He's industrious. He gets bigger barns to handle all this stuff so it can last. He's smart. He's savvy. And not the problem. God doesn't say, you idiot. He says, you fool. A fool isn't someone who's not smart. A fool is someone who lacks awareness. And did you catch why God said he's a fool? I'm going to put the words up here again. Notice the pronouns I highlighted. I, I, my, I, I, my, I, my, I, myself, it's ten. Ten times. And he says all of this stuff, it's all about me. And you notice what was missing? Zero times of anyone else, zero mentions of God whatsoever. And Jesus' assessment, what he says here, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Who will get 
what you have prepared for yourself. You've invested so much in this temporary, this earthly stuff, and it's going to do you no good whatsoever. And look what you forfeited forever. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now let me be absolutely clear. His sin was not that he was rich. His sin was not that he liked nice barns, bigger ones. His sin was not that he was smart and savvy and he didn't spend all his money and save too much of it. No, his sin was that it was all for his consumption. His attitude says, it's all about me. He wasn't rich towards God. And it pulled him away. And in a society like ours, where money has such a pull on us and arguably, arguably the most materialistic society that has ever lived, inarguably the wealthiest, richest society that this world has known, this is so true for us today because of all the things that money tells us. Think about the promises that money makes to you. Money says, if you have me, I will give you more happiness and less stress. If you have me, I will give you more control and security and less anxiety and worry. But does it deliver? Let's say you make $40,000 right now. And maybe there's some of you out here who do. $40,000. Okay, money says if you have more of me, you will be that much happier. Okay, so let's find the person who makes $80,000. Please, nobody raise their hands. But if you make $80,000 and you make $40,000, if the $40,000 person goes to the person who makes twice as much of them and says, what's it like? To be so happy, to be so filled with joy, it must be amazing. And you have a feeling and maybe you're the person who makes that 80 and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me make this very crystal clear. Let's, let's up the ante. You make $40,000. Let's say you found the person who makes $200,000, five times the amount that you make. And you went to them and said, you must be so happy. You must be just perpetually filled with joy and you're smiling all the time. And not just that, not have a care in the world. You make five times what I make. What's it like to have no stresses? What's it like to be totally secure? What's it like to just be stress-free, care-free, worry-free? Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Money promises that, oh, twice as much, five times as much, you'll be five times happier. How much did you make growing up? And looking at what you're making now, are you twice as happy, 10 times as happy, 20 times happier than you were? Are you worried about so many fewer things than you did? Money promises all these things, but experience tells us that's not how it works. Don't be fooled. And don't miss this point. Money cannot keep its promises. It can't. Not only does it promise you all these things, but think about the things that really matter. Your health. Your eternity. Relationships. Can money do anything there? Can having a bunch of money cure your cancer? Can having a bunch of money heal a relationship? No. The things that matter, money can't touch. And so, let me be as bold as Jesus today. If Jesus were to write a story about your life in this area, would it sound eerily similar to this parable? 
would his evaluation of you say, here is someone who is rich towards God? Or would he say, you're a fool? Would he say, here's someone who, who invests in eternal things, who's joyful and generous and invests in the things that last? Or would he say, here's someone who is so wrapped up in the temporary, the eternal, you're foolish. Not because you like nice things, not because you have a lot of money, not because you're smart and savvy and save a lot. That's not, that's not the point. But you just assume instead of it for God, that he is not in the conversation, the Father has nothing to do with your finances, the Bible has nothing to do with your budgets, instead it's just me, 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 myself, and I. Now, if you're not sure how you would answer that question, how you might answer that question, here's a couple more questions to help you answer that big question. Do you believe your money is actually God's? Is it God's house? Is it God's car on loan? When you walk out and step your feet on your property, is it actually, no, this is just God's property? Is it God's money? Or do you think, I've worked so hard for this. I've worked a lifetime for this. I sacrificed so much for this. This is mine. I have done so much for this. And don't you dare tell me how I should or shouldn't do and spend my money. Question number two. Do you give first and spend later? Like before the Amazon Prime delivery truck stops at your door and before you even click on that tricky little website and click Prime and you click the checkout, right? Before you do that, before you swipe that card at the register, do you instead take a chunk of what you have and generously in proportion to what you have say, God, here you go. Other people, here you go. This can help you. This can advance God's kingdom. And then build the rest of your budget off of that? Question number three. Do you love to give? Like when there's opportunities to give, is your heart like leaping for joy because of how good God is and everything he's given to you and you just say... This is an awesome opportunity. Or instead, is there like this begrudging attitude that says, oh, I, I won't have enough. I can't take care of it. Maybe that leads into the fourth question. Do you worry about money? Like when it comes to the situations, the circumstances in your life, is God there because you think, I have a father and he's taken care of me for however many years and how many times that was I not sure but I trusted in God and sure enough, he has pulled through with me just like he promised or instead is it always, um, it's just me and my bank account. We got to make this work. Where's, where's God? Well, yeah, he's there but not really. Do you trust in God or do you trust in your money? Last one, do you love God even when you're broke? God is good. It's something we say when we have clothes on our bodies, when we have food in front of us on tables, when we have a fridge stocked, when we have a roof over our heads, when we have a car to drive, and all these other things, when we have friends and relationships. But if God were to allow a Job-like tragedy to happen to you and take it all away, that you had to, you were bankrupt, you were broke, you were in debt up to your eyeballs, and you had to go bum a spot on your buddy's couch, you had to play nice with the in-laws because you're going to be living with them for a while in their basement, would you still say, God is good? Or would your attitude change? Watch out. Be on your guard. You see why Jesus talks about it so much? It is so closely tied 
to our hearts. In fact, there is no more tangible expression of what you believe than what you spend your money on. You can say all the right things in a place like this and selfishly look like you're socially accepted, but what's your bank account saying? Because that'll tell the truth of what you worry about, that'll tell the truth of what you freak out about, what you trust in, what you love, where your treasure really is, because Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. Fools are not rich towards other people. Fools are not rich towards God. Fools are rich to me, myself, and I. It's all about me. And if there's any great news in this, it's this. God is rich towards fools. And you can't help but see it right on the pages, right? Like here's this fool who comes up to Jesus and he's just got such a greedy heart, he doesn't even realize it. And Jesus could have done like the biggest eye roll in history, like get the neck in it, like oh, <laughs> just blown him off. But instead he loved him. And he looked at him and he knows the, the pull that money has and he tried to show him something that was in his heart but also not just something that was in his heart but trying to show him how he can break that power of greed into his life by showing him how rich he is, by how rich you and I are today. Do you know how rich you are? Whenever I talk about this, I, I pretty much can't do a sermon on money without bringing this passage in because it is just so, so good. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace, God's undeserved love. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. How rich was God? How rich was Jesus? Heaven. Right? We sing a song, Jerusalem the golden with milk and honey blessed. Right? Like That's a, a picture that God gives us of heaven. It's just lavished with treasure and wealth and beauty and splendor. And that's what Jesus had. He's God. He's got all of this. And yet what happens? He became poor. How poor? You know how poor. We're going to be celebrating Christmas before you know it. We're going to look and you're going to see how he was born in a manger. How poor was Jesus? So poor that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He didn't own a single house, a piece of property, anything. How poor? So poor that when the Son of God died, Son of God died, the only thing that he had to his name was a garment which the soldiers quickly gambled away. Cast lots, you get the garment, and Jesus had nothing. The Son of God died dead broke. It's actually worse than that. He died in debt. A lot of debt. The world's debt. Your debt. My debt. All the times from our misplaced priorities, from our own greed, from our own stinginess, he took that on. He went to the cross and he died for it. Why? So that you through his poverty, might become rich. You're loaded. I don't care what bank account you have and what it says. I don't care if you have, don't even have a bank account. You're loaded. You are so wealthy. When you think about the, the deposit of grace that Jesus Christ with his life, death, and resurrection gave into your account, it's so great that when you charge against it with your stinginess, with your misplaced priorities, with your greed, you can never, never outspend his grace. You're rich. 
And you know what that gives, that, what that gives you? Treasure. <laughs> you're not just a redeemed child of God. He says you're an heir. And you know what an heir is, right? An heir is someone who has an inheritance. What is your inheritance? Jerusalem the golden. Should we start singing it? Heaven. God. An eternity. A l- countless lifetimes. That's your inheritance. And it will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. No one can ever steal it from you. You're rich. And when you know that, it changes everything. It frees you from just thinking about consuming this, having this, must have this, I need this, to saying, look at what God has given me on top of what he's given me. And it allows you to be freed from the power of greed. How? When you understand what, how rich you are, you can do this. You can give. Giving generously just totally breaks the power of greed in your life. And maybe you've done that before. Maybe you have a story of like how it was so hard for you to give and you started doing it. And more and more people I talk to who are doing this have not looked back and said, I totally regret that. No, just the opposite. They said, I wish I would have started sooner. I wish I would have been doing this. I w- it's a tangible expression of my faith and praise towards God. I love it. And suddenly it changes their finances. It changes their budget. It changes their heart. Wouldn't you know the gospel does that? But money is going to be there. And money is going to say, but I'll make you rich. You can't give me away. And you can say, I already am. (laughs) I've got God. Money will say, but I can make your life a little better. I can give you more stuff. And you can say, what could you give me that could possibly compare to what Jesus has given me? And money will try to make you freak out and say, but it's going to be scary. Are you going to have enough? Are you sure? And I do not have another half hour to talk to you about the next thing in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus goes right after this parable and tells the whole crowd of thousands of people, do not worry because you have a father in heaven with unlimited resources that he just spends and spends and spends and gives and gives and gives to you. Oh, you have little faith. Do not worry. I don't know what your dad was like, but your perfect heavenly father is a giver and he loves to give. He gave you Jesus Christ so that you could be freed from greed in your life and freed to give. So give. Give, remember God in your finances. Remember Jesus Christ, just how rich you are and you will understand that it's not scary. You have a father who will provide for you with everything that you need and you can know that with absolute certainty because he already has in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. (laughs) As difficult as it may be for our sinful nature and man to want to hear and listen to, we want to buck, we want to deny it, we want to cling to the stuff of this world and you show us just how fleeting and how really it's nothing. It's nothing when we see you and it's nothing when we see the inheritance that we have. Lord, it's a pull. We live in a society where we can't go out down the road without seeing a billboard for saying, trying to, trying to stroke our, our discontentment. We can't listen to the radio or the TV without hearing commercials that say you're not going to happy unless you have more of this, less of that. Lord, 
money makes so many promises, but we know you're the only one who can keep your promises. So Lord, send your spirit with us today that we could hear this message, that we could go home, and that we could evaluate our lives. We could evaluate our spending, we could evaluate our budgets, and we could say, are you in our finances? And help us so we can act accordingly. And in all this, in proportion to everything that you've given to us, let us give you glory. Let's stop making it about us, and let's make it about you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.